Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Well, holiday season uh, sometimes brings a, a, a phrase, a word, uh, that strikes fear into the heart of dieters, but to everyone who's going on a trip or uh, taking a cruise, it, it just brings images of plenty and abundance, and it's the phrase, all-inclusive. All-inclusive, all-inclusive, beautiful. I don't have to pay for anything more after I sign up. It's all included up front. It's there whenever I go there. It's all-inclusive. It means to me unlimited, right? Oh, man, all the food, all the drink, all the entertainment, all that I can stomach hour after hour, day and night, a 24-7 smorgasbord of delight, right? Now, those of you who were full from yesterday, I apologize that that might still have made you feel uncomfortable. Uh, this day after Christmas, I want to just focus one sh on one short little phrase like that that has kind of the same meaning as all-inclusive. It's embedded right in the Christmas story. Just three words, sometimes two, but sometimes one, but it's the phrase. Most of you, if not all of you, know the Christmas story. You've heard it over and over, year after year. The phrase actually occurs twice, though, in the Christmas story, once at the very beginning and once right near the end. That Christmas Eve, the angels announced to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The phrase, to all people, or for all people, to all people, that's what I want to focus on. Did you notice any restrictions in that verse, in that phrase? No. Are there any qualifiers in that phrase? Absolutely not. Any limits to that, to what it implies? No. Any conditions in that verse? None whatsoever. It's all inclusive. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist or if you're a Jew or you're a Muslim or you're a Hindu or you have no faith at all. Even if you're an atheist, Christmas is for all. It's all inclusive. It's an all inclusive kind of deal. Good news of great joy for all the people. Do you know when that phrase occurs again near the end of the Christmas story? It's uttered by a guy that's often overlooked in the Christmas story because he kind of jumps in right near the end and by then we kind of know the story and we're already moving on. In fact, he comes on the scene about 40 days after Jesus is born. And of course, for those of you who like to research numbers, have a check on 40. It's one of those numbers that occurs over and over in the Bible that signifies that God is doing something. There's a change. There's a, a regeneration about to happen. There's a, a refocus about to happen. This guy could have been the first to actually coin the phrase all-inclusive or something like it. We don't know much about him, uh, but we do know, and what we do know would make for a good resume. Let's read about him. So 40 days after Jesus' birth, Scripture tells us that Joseph and Mary take him to Jerusalem. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. 
the Holy Spirit was upon him and had re revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. Do you see, you know, the, when we talk about the ancient past and, and recognizing the Holy Spirit as a part of us and leading us and guiding us, right here in the Christmas story, the Holy Spirit shows up and is leading and guiding Simeon here. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. I want to focus on that statement today, but you can go on and read the whole account in Luke 2. There's another pillar on hand at this moment, an 84-year-old prophet named Anna, who has been at the temple worshiping God with fasting and prayer, day and night awaiting the promised Savior, and she too rejoices. And oh, by the way, there's a little reminder there that January is our month of prayer and fasting, and it's soon to be upon us. God had promised Simeon, you're not going to die until you see, until your eyes actually lay uh, uh, in front of you on the, the Messiah, the coming Savior of the world. When God comes to earth, when God comes in human form, Simeon, you will be there. When Mary and Joseph show up, Simeon has no idea who they are. He was not on the hillside 40 nights previously. He hadn't heard that angel's proclamation. He hadn't seen them come in the radiance of God's glory and declare the phrase we so often hear at Christmas. But because the Holy Spirit was upon him and he allowed the Holy Spirit to lead him to the temple that day, when he looks at this baby, he instantly knows this is the fulfillment of God's promise. Here's the Savior of the world. Here's the Son of God. This is God coming in human form. And he says this, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. Christmas is for all people and for all nations. What Jesus came to do is for all people and for all nations. Jesus came to bring to light our understanding of God himself to all. There's a lot of bizarre ideas about God out in the world right now. I typed the word God into Google the other day and it came back with 4.37 billion web pages. That's a billion with a B. 4.37 billion uh, web pages. So I went through, no, I didn't go through them all. That was a little bit overwhelming. So I typed in the phrase, what is God like? Let me give you a few responses that came up. One person said, I like to think of God as the sun and myself as a ray of sunlight. The ray is the same substance as the sun, so really, I'm God too. Another, I like to think of God like I think of our grandson, who likes to hide and then jump out and surprise us. Another wrote, I like to think of God like a sweet and tolerant, they meant to, I think, write tolerant, but a sweet and tolerant person pleased with everything he sees in the world. A university professor who identified himself as such wrote, I like to think of God as some sort of gigantic balloon, like a giant brain floating in space. Yuck, really? It's no wonder why people avoid God these days. They have these misconception of what he's like. And any time you hear somebody start a sentence, therefore, with, 
I like to think of God as, well, you can pretty much know they're, they're going to be off base because they're about to express an opinion. They can be totally sincere about it, but absolutely sincerely wrong. We have to have more than sincerity here. We have to have the truth, don't we? What we need is not what I'd like to think of God as, but who he actually is. It's the truth, the Bible tells us, that sets us free. Best guesses don't cut the mustard. People tend to imagine God in the way that is most convenient to them. I want God to support my lifestyle, so I like to think of God like this. Da -da 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 -da. Basically, it's I want God to be my genie. I want him to be my servant and not vice versa. At creation, God made us in his image, and today we try to make God in our image. We want a designer God. Instead of the Bible verse that says, this is the day that the Lord has made, it's this. It's this is the Lord that the day has made. We want to fit God into our little box so he's neat and compact and controllable and frankly comfortable. So let's not make this that kind of boxing day. Fortunately, God wants us to know what he's like. So he came to earth in human form, <clears throat> excuse me, in the man Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago for all people at Christmas. So like last week when we talked about how the goodness of God, I want to now look at how God is good to all people. God shines his goodness on all people. That reminds me, just as I say good there for a moment, I heard, once heard, uh, as I was talking to someone, uh, he asked me the question, do you, do you know the secret of a good sermon? And I went, um, no, share, enlighten. And he said, well, the secret of a good sermon is to have a really good beginning and a really good ending and having the two so close together as possible. God shines his goodness on all people. God is good, and he doesn't just keep it to himself. He shines his goodness on all people. A lot of people don't get this. A lot of people think God is only good to people who are good to him in some way. In other words, if you're good, you get the goods, right? But if you're bad, well, God's going to be bad to you. It's a performance-driven idea that God only smiles at me if I'm doing good things. What they've done is they've confused Jesus and, let's face it, Santa Claus. Santa Claus is the guy who's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out who's naughty and nice. Better not pouch, better not cry. He knows if you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. What? That is totally performance driven. But that's nowhere near what it tells us in the Bible about what goodness is. God, through Jesus, shines his goodness on everyone. Think about the encounters that Jesus had with people. Many of them were not thought of as good people. Far, far, far from it. Yet they were the ones that he spent time with. Taught, healed, called, changed. Jesus taught God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. As a farmer, I quoted that verse to myself many, 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 many times. 
Through Jesus, we see that God doesn't play favorites with his grace. He doesn't play favorites with his goodness. Do we? Do we? He doesn't play favorites with his goodness. It's for all, we're told. What that means is this. God is good to atheists. God is good to people who rebel against him. God is good to people who ignore him their entire life. God is good to you whether you understand it or not, or whether you accept it or not, or whether you reject it or not, or whether you even realize it or not. Because everything good in your life is a gift from God. It all comes from God, and God is intrinsically, remember we talked about that last week, good. The Bible in Psalm 145 says the Lord is good to all. That includes you if you're hearing my voice right now. What the Bible teaches is the exact opposite of what our culture teaches. Because the world teaches you this. You get what you deserve in life. If you're not getting the goods, then you're just not working hard enough for it. And you just need to buck up and get in there, get in gear, try harder, because you get what you deserve in life. There are entire religions based on this performance model. If bad things happen to you, it's because you're bad. And if good things happen to you, it's because you're good. And if terrible things happen to you, it's because, yeah, you're terrible. You get what you deserve out of this life. That isn't much comfort if I've gone through some tough times. It's always, therefore, my fault. It's a very unsatisfying way to live, isn't it? If you fall into a ditch, you're there because you deserve to be there. You must have done something wrong. Jesus taught us about this in the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10, and you can read it for yourself. Other religions walk by when you're down, laid low, and say you're there because of this or this or that. But Jesus walks by and says, can I give you a hand up? I'm here to help. I will look after you. I will pay the cost of your restoration. That's the difference. He came to be the savior of the world, all-encompassing. God operates by grace. Do you get from him what you deserve in life? Thankfully, oh so thankfully, Lord, no. If you get what you deserved, if we all got what we deserved, we'd have nothing and we likely wouldn't be here. The fact is, Jesus came so that we could have the gift of grace, so we could enjoy for all eternity what we don't deserve. Forgiveness, heaven. We wouldn't know that God forgives us except Jesus told us. We wouldn't know that God has a plan for our lives except Jesus lived it out before us. Everything we have in life is a gift of God's goodness and grace, whether we ever acknowledge it to God or not. Because God's good is extended to every single person. All of us, all of us, it's based on not who we are, but who he is. God could have made the world totally gray, black and white, no color, no pleasure, no beauty in the world, but instead God created color and a perpetual bunch of sunrises and sunsets and then he gave you the ability with your eyes to see it and enjoy it. It's a gift for all. God could have made food all taste bland and all taste, the, sorry to bring up food again. Could have made food all taste bland and all taste the same. He could have made all food taste like lentils. 
Instead, God created your taste buds and then he made cherry Danish. Come on. What a God. Every pleasure in your life is a gift of God. It's, a, it's God's goodness to us all. Look at those around you right now, even where you sit or where you're at. We're all different. God loves variety. We know that just by looking at what he's created. He created over 60,000 different kinds of beetles. You would have thought 400 to 500 would have been fine. Actually, I'm not a fan. One would have been enough for me. No, 60,000 different kinds of beetles in the world, and I can only name four of them. How about you? Let's see, John, Paul, George, Ringo. Kind of about it. We know that God is creative because we and the world and everything around us exists by his spoken word. We know that God has a sense of humor. Have you ever seen an orangutan? Have you ever looked at yourself in the morning? Have you ever seen me in shorts? No. I wear shorts and my whole family just falls on the floor laughing. God has a sense of humor. We know these things. God created every good and perfect gift. The Bible says it all comes from the hand of God the Father. And it's a sheer gift to us. It's God shining his goodness on all his people. Even the people who are thumbing their very noses at God, saying, forget you, God, there's still the goodness extended to them. He's good to those people. He's good to all. Why is this important? Because the secret of getting through tough times is to focus not on the problem, but on the good things in your life that God has provided you. Focus on the goodness of God always. I don't know what darkness you're in right now. Maybe you just can't find your way, and this Christmas it's kind of tough, and you don't know which way to go. Look for God's goodness. Where? In the small things of your life. They're all around you. Look for God's goodness in the things you take for granted. When you get in bed at night, thank God that you've got a bed. When you take a shower, thank God for hot water. Oh yeah, that's, I'm all over that one. When you get to go home from here in your car, thank God that you're not walking. If you will slow down and look around you, you will see a thousand things a day that represent God's goodness in your life that you don't deserve and that all, in all likelihood, you've taken for granted. They're just gifts to us all. It all came because God shines his goodness on all people. In the Bible, the goodness of God, this is so cool. In the Bible, the goodness of God, that phrase is actually a phrase for Jesus Christ himself. Jesus in the Bible is called the goodness of God. Here's what the Bible says about Christmas in Titus 3. When the goodness of God appeared, being Jesus, he saved us. Have you ever thought of Jesus as the goodness of God? At Christmas, God's goodness came in human form. God's goodness came in the flesh, the real deal. That's what God is like. Look at Jesus and see what God is like. God doesn't play favorites. He's good to all people. God also loves all people. God showers his love on all. God has never made a person he doesn't love. No matter who you are, God made you to love you. The whole reason you're alive is you were made by a loving God to be loved by him. 
God doesn't create anything he doesn't love. He loves us all. And the Bible says he showers his love, his compassion on us every day, every day of our lives. He showers compassion on all of creation. He showers compassion on everybody. Everybody is included. He doesn't dribble it out a little bit at a time. He's not stingy like some shower heads are with water. Psalm 42 says, each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. He pours it out. When I eat a salad, I'm not one of those people who dips the fork in the salad dressing and then gets a little bit of taste. No, I like pouring it on. In fact, I want more dressing than salad, actually. I'm, I'm pouring it on. My wife's probably listening. I'm in, yeah. When I eat pancakes, I don't want to just kind of dribble on the syrup. I want to pour it on. I don't want a little dribble. I want to pour it on. Gravy. Oh, my goodness. Gravy. Can you have too much gravy? No. no, exactly. God pours his love on you all the time. Just pours it over you. Let me be clear about this. God loves you unconditionally, but he doesn't approve of everything we do. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional approval. Parents, we try to love our kids. Do you approve of everything they do? Well, of course not. Do you still love them? Absolutely. My wife doesn't approve of everything I do, but she still loves me. Why? I have really no idea, but I'm glad she does because it's as close to unconditional as we here on earth can get. But God... God truly loves unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. That doesn't mean that just because God loves you, you can just do whatever you want to do, and it doesn't make God sad or disappointed. God's not saying, I gave you free will, the gift of making choices in your life, so go ahead and ruin your life. I don't care. Mess it up. Screw it up. Go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. Ignore me. No, he doesn't approve of that. But nonetheless, he loves you unconditionally. And no matter what you do, you can't make God stop loving you. I think people have tried. You can try, but you will fail. You can say, I'm going to show that I can make God stop loving me, but you will fail. You can't make God stop loving you because his love isn't based on your performance at all. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is, and you can't change who he is. It's his nature. God is love. You say, how do I know God loves me? I could give you three or four dozen examples, but since it's Christmas, let me just give you two. Attention and action. Love is attention, and love is action. So love pays attention. God knows every way I take, and he pays attention to it, we're told in Job. I know God loves us because he pays attention to every single detail of our lives. There's no moment of our life when God is not paying attention to us. He saw us conceived in our mother's womb. He watched every point of our life from conception on. He watched you take your first breath. He's seen every up and down, every good, bad, and ugly. He's never had his eyes off of you for even a single millisecond. God pays attention to all the details. Why is that important? Because love pays attention. Love is attention. You pay attention to what you love. 
If you don't pay attention, I don't care what you say, you don't really love it. Dads, you say you love your kids, but if you don't pay attention to them, and I can say this because I'm a dad, it applies to all parents, then you're not really showing, and probably deep down, there's a question about whether there really is that kind of love attention there. Love pays attention. Attention is the greatest gift you can give someone. When I pay attention to you, it matters to me, right? It says you matter to me. You're important. I value you. You're worth spending some of my precious time that I can never get back on you. My time is my life. So I'm actually giving you part of my life every second that I pay attention to you. Love pays attention. Jesus revealed God to the nations, Simeon said, and shattered a bunch of myths about God. For instance, he shattered the myth that God is distant and detached. God is too busy for me, and he's out there somewhere doing his thing, and here I am on earth doing my thing. Kind of a Bette Midler philosophy, you know, from a distance, right? God is watching us from a distance. God says, Bet, I'm sorry. I'm not from a distance. I'm here with you, and I'm all around you, and I'm close. He came to earth, and he actually became one of us to prove it. In doing that, Jesus exploded the myth that God is unmerciful and unpleasable, that he's some kind of tyrant. Are you kidding me? God is fascinated by you because he made you. He's your creator, and he made you to love you. He's fascinated with you. Does God ever get too busy for you? No. Can God ever be too busy and forget you? Absolutely not. Can God ever lose interest in you? No. Because God is love. And love pays attention. Jesus exploded the myth that God is uncaring and unconcerned. In fact, the Bible says that God notices, Jesus said, actually, that God notices every time a sparrow falls to the ground. How many birds Fall, how many sparrows fall to the ground in a typical day around the world? Probably a lot. He notices every single one. The Bible says that God knows so much about you, the details of your life. He has every hair on your head numbered. I'm doing my bit to make it easier for him all the time on that, by the way. He's interested in the details of your life. He's interested in every detail. God knows far more about you, actually, than you know about yourself because he's paying attention to you all the time from the moment you were conceived. Simeon said, Jesus is a light to reveal God to the nations. Jesus himself backed that up. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their, all, did you catch it? All who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Light helps us see things as they really are. You see better in the light. No-brainer. Jesus helps us to see what God is really like. A lot of your problems come because you don't have a big enough perspective. We don't just come and see and think things are going to work out. We are in the dark. And when we're in the dark, we get confused. Perhaps problems happen when we just can't see clearly. And if you don't know Jesus, you're in the dark you're in the dark about the purpose for your life. You're in the dark about just who God really is. You're in the dark about what can come from your problems. You're in the dark about your future, even. You're just kind of stumbling along through life. You don't really see clearly unless you know the light of the world. Do You want to get to know God? It's extremely simple. Get to know Jesus. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Billy Graham once said, when I want to know what God's like, I take a long, long look at Jesus. Jesus is God come to earth. The word for this in the Bible is the word Emmanuel, God with us. People many times uh, remember, uh, people many times to remember people that they love that they, when we want to remember somebody, let me get this straight in my head, when we really want to remember somebody and we're afraid we might lose them often, we get a tattoo, right? We get something that's going to be permanently attached to us so we will never forget them. For a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a husband, a wife, a mom, somebody you love, uh, you get a tattoo, some people do, as a constant reminder. I love this person and I will never be detached. I will never forget that. Did you know that God has a tattoo of you? He does. The Bible asks this question. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Well, the answer is obviously no. no. No mother could forget a baby who is nursing. But he goes on. I will not forget you. Can a mother forget her nursing child? The answer in your head is no. Well, I won't forget you. I have engraved you, like a tattoo, on the palms of my hands. Isn't that a wonderful word picture? I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. On the palms of my hand. Get this. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and, and I, they nailed him to a cross and they nailed his feet and they nailed his hands. That left scars on his hands. When you get to heaven, the only person, have you thought about this? The only person in heaven who's going to have scars is Jesus. You're not going to have any. They're going to be all gone. But Jesus is going to have them. God wants everybody to remember for all eternity what he did for us. He says, you want to know how much I love you? Look at the tattoos on my hands. I've engraved you on the palms of my hands forever. You want to know how much I love you? I love you this much. I love you so much it hurts. I love you so much I'd rather die than live without you. This is how much I love you. You want to know how much I love you? I'm thinking about you all the time. I can't forget you because you're tattooed on my hands. And I'm never, ever going to let you go. Love not only pays attention, but love takes action. Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. We know it as the golden rule. It's a teaching that is so simple, many of us probably learned this a long time ago, as it may be one of Jesus' best-known teachings. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's a little like Christmas itself when you think about it. It's so simple, it's easy to miss its power and impact. The teaching itself is a gift that keeps on giving, and it's one that we can exchange with each other at Christmas and, frankly, all throughout 2022. It would be okay, it would be okay if we always played by that rule, wouldn't it? The golden rule. If we always played by that rule... If we always did things that way, we'd be fine in many ways. Sometimes, though, we go by whatever you do to me, that's what I'm going to do to you. That's the reciprocal rule. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. A lot of people play by that rule, but that's not the golden rule. That's not what Jesus said. Another is we treat people the way that other people have already treated us. That's the influence rule, a very popular rule. The way that other people have treated me is the way that I'm choosing to treat you. 
This one pops up in marriages a lot. This one pops up when we use our parents and think about the way my parents treated me is influencing the way that I'm going to treat you. Then there's the preemptive strike rule. Treat others the way I think they're going to treat me before they do. This person looks like they're going to shaft me, so I'm going to shaft them first. There was a child once asked what the golden rule was, and confusing the do unto others part, he said, do one to others before they do one to you. Jesus' golden rule is so simple. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. It began the moment the Magi announced his birth. A king is born. The then king, King Herod, heard about this and he decided he better do something. He better do a preemptive strike here. King Herod ascribed to the do unto others before they do unto you rule. So he had all the baby boys under a year old killed in and around Bethlehem. This actually happened. All through Jesus' life, there were people who abused him. And eventually there were some people who put him to death on a cross because he came to give us the gift of love. Yet because he carried out this principle of love towards others, he was a person of joy. He was a person of delight. He was light. It brings joy to your life when you're living this kind of way, the golden rule. What love is, is always a choice. Love isn't about me. It's about you. When I love you, I make your problem my problem, your agenda my agenda. I think of you first. Love is about giving. Love is about giving. Lust, on the other hand, is about getting. It's all about me. Love is about giving. So you know what Jesus did? He made our problems of sin his problem before we even knew we had a problem. In fact, before we were even born, he solved our problem by coming and dying on the cross for us. Love is action, and Jesus took initiative on our behalf and came to, to be our Savior. A lot of religions of the world have nice ideas about Jesus and how he came at Christmas to give us, you know, kind of this, this loving thought process here, but they miss out on the fact that he gave us power to live a different kind of way. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you, he said. Even sinners love those who love them. And if you did good to those who did good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even those so far away from God do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend expecting to be repaid in full. Love your enemies and do good to them. The golden rule means, first of all, you love all people in a different way, not just those who've already loved you. It means, number two, you do good not only to those who do good to you, but to everybody. So there's not only this attitude of love toward everyone, but there's an action of love, of goodness, giving goodness towards everyone, doing good to others. He talks about number three, lending. That gets a little confusing because don't we often call that giving if we're lending and don't expect to get paid back? But there's a, a subtle undercurrent here of respecting people by, by, by recognizing that you're, you're lending the money even though in your heart you don't ever expect or have drawn a line saying you have to repay me. That's the idea here. There are some people who have a need in their lives and, and whether you want to call it pride or acceptance or whatever, they just need to have it come to them as, I'm lending this to you. It's a matter of respect in some ways, isn't it? Even though you know that probably they're not going to be able to pay it back. Who knows? 
that even in that moment, you're meeting their need and that's going to lead them someday to Christ or closer to him. He makes these applications about loving and doing good and lending. And in case we're not getting it all at this stage, he makes a fourth application which just kind of supersedes it all. He says, do this also to your enemies. In case you didn't get that it was for everyone, do it to your enemies, to everyone, including your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. That basically widens the circle to include everyone. Nobody's left. This is the message that has its beginning at Christmas. God practiced the golden rule towards us. While we were still his enemies, God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to live on this earth and to eventually die for us. This is the good news of Christmas. He has come for us, this Jesus. He has come to bring hope to you all. For the rich, for the poor, for the husband, for the lonely, for the wife, for the office, for the home, for the suburbs. He has come for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. The third all-inclusive thing that God teaches us about God, sorry, that Christmas teaches us about God, is that God gives to all people. He sacrificed his son for just those who thought that was the good thing. No, he sacrificed his son for all people. He sent him to the earth to be the Savior of the world. Remember the words of Simeon, the he looked, when he looked at the beginning of, that we looked at the beginning of this message, Simeon looks at this baby and he says, I have seen the Savior given for all people. Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. In the Bible, the symbol of Jesus sacrificing him is the sacrificial lamb. Like a baby sheep, the sacrificial lamb offered up. This symbol, this metaphor is used because lambs are blameless, aren't they? They never hurt anybody. They're not predators. They're innocent. They don't do anything wrong. Jesus hurt no one. He was innocent. He didn't deserve to die. He had done no wrong. He was sinless. He was the son of God. Yet he was sacrificed by evildoers. But he did it willingly. He did it willingly for us, for our sin. He was the Lamb of God. See, Christmas without Christ is just a mess. It's just a big mess. A mess without meaning or purpose. Christmas without the cross is irrelevant, really. If Jesus had stayed a baby in that manger, there's no reason for us to really celebrate. Just be another birth among many birthdays. There's no reason to put up Christmas lights, sing Christmas songs about Jesus, send a card to everybody you've ever met and buy gifts. On Christmas Day, the entire world shuts down. I was talking to some uh, person on staff here when we were handing out the meals on Friday, and they were saying, you know, there's something amazing about the fact that the entire world basically shuts down for 24 hours to celebrate an event that split history between A.D. and B.C., God came to earth. He invaded earth as a human being. And he did it because his goodness shines on you and his love showers over you and he senses and shares your pain moment by moment and he sacrificed himself for you. The Bible says this, he died for all. Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, people of no faith, anyone who thumbs their nose at God, absolutely, yes, he died for everyone. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's the really good news of Christmas. 
This offer is available to anybody. It's the ultimate all-inclusive offer. It doesn't say any particular religion in that verse. It says it's available to all people, to all people, to all who received him and believed in his name. Jesus gave the right to become children of God. Be in a family. Be in the family of God. God made it as, as simple so that nobody could say it was hard to understand. He made it so simple that he couldn't say, although they try, it's exclusive. This is so exclusive. No, it's all inclusive. It's for all. Nobody's turned aside from, from coming to him. You believe and you receive. You believe and you receive. How do I get that gift? How do you get the assurance of heaven? You believe that Jesus died for you took his sins, your sins on himself and took them to the cross where the penalty was paid and you receive him into your life. You believe that Jesus was who he said he was and you receive his forgiveness. Doesn't it make sense that the God of the universe would provide a way, the way, the truth, and the life? He would provide a way. Why confuse us with a million different ways? There's a way, he says, and it's open to all. You believe that God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die for you and you receive the greatest Christmas gift ever. Your salvation, your forgiveness. Believing or celebrating Christmas and not receiving the number one gift that Christmas is all about is to miss the point completely. God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. Notice there's no mention of religion again in that verse. It says if you want God and you're willing to do what he says, the door is wide open to you. It's open to everyone. It's all-inclusive. Everyone, you, me, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise and God doesn't Live. This is an invitation for everyone, an open invitation. Let's get real honest here. There are many areas of your life over your lifetime where you have felt left out. I've certainly been there. There are areas of my life over my lifetime that I have felt left out. Many times in our lives, it's almost like we were watching a party going on that we weren't invited to. Maybe because we weren't attractive enough and we got left out. Maybe because we were left out because we didn't have the ability that other people had. Perhaps there are some areas where we were left out because we didn't have the money other people had. Or areas of our lives where we've been left out because we didn't have the athletic or musical talent. Some of you have been left out because of race or background or who your parents were. The list goes on. But this, this is one invitation we are all included in. No one is left out of this one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. If you have felt this way, felt left out in life as a pastor, as somebody who loves you and loves this church family, I want to say to you, you, say to you this as clearly as I possibly can. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, God wants you in his family. No matter what troubles or hardship you're going through, no matter what storm or tidal waves of life you face, no matter what uncertainty you have about 2022, there is no better place to be held firmly than in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus, sheltered as part of God's family. He is with you. He will hold you like an anchor holds fast a ship, 
though it be tossed on the waves. And he will never, ever let you go because you are a treasured child of the Most High God.